Welcome to Our Jewish Roots. The Word of God has given us examples of faith that have shaped virtually every aspect of the believer's life today. Where would we be without the examples of Noah, Abraham, and Isaac, David, and ultimately that of Yeshua, Jesus? Faith is woven into the fabric of America as well. From the Pilgrims to John Adams, to Patrick Henry and George Washington, God's providential hand remained highly esteemed and honored above all. Faith unshakable, faith unstoppable, faith of our fathers. Thank you so much for joining us today. I am David Hart. I'm Kirsten Hart. I am Jeffrey Seif. We're uh, talking about the faith of our fathers, but let's look at the ladies too. Ooh, thank you, I appreciate that. We get one program in here, huh? Well. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Seif teaches about a mother of our faith. Let's go there right now. Shalom. In this series, we've been game to talk about the faith of our fathers, and I'm good with that. But today, we want to talk about the faith of one of our mothers. You've heard it said, behind every good man, there's a good woman. Well, surely today, when we look at the book of Esther, we see that story, a story of a woman behind the scenes. You've seen in this series, and you'll see later, a dramatic vignette of a famous woman behind the scenes who put together the flag of our culture. Well, truth be known, there was a woman behind the scenes who preserved Hebraic culture in the Hebrew Bible. It is a fascinating story, this woman of faith. And we want to look at her world and consider what she did in it. In days like our own today, or in days like yesterday, when we were just forging a nation here on this side of the Atlantic, whether today, yesterday, or way uh, into yesteryear, there's stories of individuals who've rolled the dice against an uncertain future and taken a stand and walked by faith. A story that we look at as we look at the faith of our fathers or as I'd said in this case, our mother, one of them. The story takes place in the book of Esther. I can just feel the tension when I enter into the biblical world. The political backdrop was miserable. Mordecai knew it. He was chagrined because he knew the Jews were about to be undone. There's the news, and there's the news behind the news that affected the Jews, God's people in this case. Mordecai was pressed. He leaned on Esther, can you help? But she was nervous to do so initially. And who can blame her? Because, you know, faith takes risk. Whether it's hopping on a boat and coming into the new world to come to America, or whether it's stepping up to take a chance here in the biblical word, whether it's the biblical word or whether it's the world that we live in, the truth of the matter, it takes faith for our mothers and fathers to move forward. 
In this case, Mordecai had a request. Listen, you gotta talk to the king. You gotta do something. We're in trouble here. She knew there was a risk associated with that, but you know what? She decided to roll the dice against an uncertain future, and there's a holiday that's named after the rolling of the dice in something of a dark and twisted sense because someone was game to destroy the Jews and he rolled the dice. His name was Haman to decide on a day to do it. Well, uh, what happened here is Esther had to get her faith up. We're told here that Mordecai is leaning on her. He was a, a, a guardian to her, a guide, a counselor. And he tells her in chapter 4, verse 14, he says, you know, Esther, you need to take a chance. You know why? He says, who knows whether you've attained royal status for such a time as this. Let's pause for a moment to speak of providence. Those who forged our own culture spoke of providence that guided into the future. There really is quite a sense of God leading in the new enterprise that is America. Well, God's at work here in the Word. What do you think? And he reminds her, you know, who knows? Come on, you know, providence puts you here. Well, she hears him on that score. You know, maybe I'm just not a pretty girl that got lucky and won a beauty contest, you know? Maybe God put me where I am to use influence. And so it is, faith prompts people to uh, roll the dice against an uncertain future, one of my expressions, and use influence. Well, what she does in response to his petition in this political moment, gather together the Jews, don't eat or drink, let's fast. They're calling for a fast and a prayer meeting in effect. And isn't that a good thing to do? Faith prompts people to petition heaven before they decide for things on earth. Subsequent to that, she says, afterward. See, a lot of people don't have an interior faith walk. Not men, not women. Sometimes we just move. Sometimes we just march. The times are difficult here. And uh, she petitions heaven first with pietistic inclinations for prayer and fasting and what have you. Subsequent to which, she says, then I, and I'm reading from the text, will go to the king, even though it is not according to the law. That is to say, to show up uninvited, you do it at your own risk. But she decided to throw herself into uncertainty here, propelled by a kind of faith that maybe destiny has her number dialed up. And she says a line after that that is just so profound. She says, if I perish, I perish. You know, we talk about the uh, cost. Uh, faith comes with a cost. Uh, people talk about the free gift of God in Messiah Jesus. And indeed, it's a free gift because he paid for it. Like the holidays, I gave my kids when they were growing up free gifts, but someone had to pay for the gift. Come to think of it, I don't just do it when they were growing up, I do it when they're adults. There's nothing free at the end of the day, someone's paying for it. And here we see someone taking a deep breath and moving forward. And so it was, not just in Bible days, but in the forging of our own world here in America. There were people with faith who looked to God, who petitioned heaven, subsequent to which they then moved forward. And dangerous were the times. 
oh goodness, the political backdrop here is extremely dangerous. And so it was when I think of our fathers and mothers in colonial America, to tell you the truth. And we'll get to that in a moment, you know. But when I think about even the thought of breaking away from Britain, powerful Britain, it held the day. And those that believed God had guided them here to this new world and were then minded to take a stand in this world, to make a place here, to stand up for principles in this world. Oh, it took faith for them. Back then, you know, it took faith for them here in Bible days. It took faith for our fathers and mothers in Bible days. And you know what? It takes faith for us today. And so it is, I'm pleased to come to you, we all are, to look at the story of the faith of our fathers, and in this case, the faith of our mothers and fathers as well. The Dead Sea, referred to in the Bible as the Salt Sea, provides a wealth of beneficial ingredients for skin care. This week, our ministry is offering you three of Ahaba's most popular products, all made from the sea's rejuvenating minerals. For your kind donation, we'll send you their mineral body lotion, hand cream, and foot cream. They soften, they smooth, and most importantly, they're made in Israel. Call 1-800-WONDERS and request the Skin Care Trio. Join us right now for additional content that is only available on our social media sites, Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. Visit our website, levitt.com, for the current and past programs, the television schedule, tour information, and our free monthly newsletter, which is full of insightful articles and news commentary. View it online, or we can ship it directly to your mailbox every month. Also on our website is the online store, there, you can order this week's resource, or you can always give us a call at 1-800-WONDERS. Your donations to our Jewish roots help us to support these organizations as they bless Israel. Please remember we depend on tax-deductible donations from viewers like you. Did you know that the word providence and the word from provision are really, in effect, cut from the same cloth? Uh, in one case, God provides, as in providence, as in divine providence. In another, he works through individuals who provide provision. With that said, let me encourage you. We're considering divine providence in this program. But let me ask you, please, lend a hand to participate with him in providing. That's what it means, means to be Christians at the end of the day. That is, that we love, we care, and we share. It's, a, it's intrinsic to our faith, that our faith has works. And please, if God inspires you to do it, please help provide for what we do. We go all over the world. We do this through the miracle that is television. It's not just a stand-up preacher. It's dramatic vignettes. It's to and from Israel, special guests, a lot of television time. It doesn't come cheap. Please help us provide, and uh, I want to thank you in advance. Providence is an interesting word. It's not one that we use every day in our vernacular. I think there's a big word also, but it's the protective care of God, and we just want to let all of you know, yes, we're a television program, but we also take tours to Israel. We go two times a year, 
and never once, right? Never once in all of our tours to the Holy Land have we felt unprotected or unsafe. That's probably our number one question that we get, don't you think, from oh, yeah. people? Our families even. Right, a lot of our family, do you feel safe? every single time. So that is never something to worry about or think about. God's providence is care, protects us, keeps our tours safe. We'd love to be your hosts. In the Holy Land, we go two times a year, get in touch with our ministry for information. Yes. You know, Kirsten, you say that, and I've been in, in and out of Israel 50 times, and it's always the same story over decades. Aren't you scared to go, whether you're afraid of a virus or afraid of a rock or a bullet or whatever? Mm -hmm. it, it's, uh, people are always thrown on their heels, but those that go there marvel at such a joyous experience. And that's the number one <laughs> thing. Everyone that's there is like, I never knew the piece. I mean, yeah, literally yeah. where you can slice right. the pieces so thick. There's such a chasm between the rhetoric and the reality. I a lot agree. of prayer for the peace of Jerusalem also That's for true, we do yeah. it on this program. People have been drawn to the land. Um, it, it's just part of the mystery that is Israel. And uh, pilgrims have gone there from medieval times, way beyond that. It's always had a certain allure. If God's drawing you, come on, do it. Right now, Betsy Ross and her clergyman friend discuss the issue of providence in our dramatic reenactment. Let's go there right now. Betsy, permit me to read from Mr. John Adams, a fierce advocate and signer of the Declaration of Independence. Please do so, sir. Herein, he writes to his dear wife, Abigail. Yesterday, the greatest question was decided whichever was debated in America, and a greater perhaps never was or will be decided among men. It is the will of heaven that the two countries should be sundered forever. I must submit all my hopes and fears to an overruling providence in which I firmly believe. It was a day many of us longed for, a day we believed would never happen. And yet God's mighty hand guided those gentlemen in providential fashion. Mr. Adams continues. This will be the most memorable epoch in the history of America. I am apt to believe that it will be celebrated by succeeding generations as the great anniversary festival. It ought to be commemorated as the day of deliverance by solemn acts of devotion of God Almighty. Day of Deliverance. Sounds much like the official seal Mr. Jefferson says he desires for America. The children of Israel in the wilderness, led by a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. <laughs> yes, it does. And clearly to Mr. Adams, the children of Israel should remain important. I will insist that the Hebrews have done more to civilize men than any other nation. They preserve and propagate to all mankind the doctrine of supreme, intelligent, wise, almighty sovereign of the universe, which I believe to be the great essential principle of all morality and consequently of all civilization. Sir, do you perceive, as do I, that the providence in which you speak of is unfolding before our eyes? That liberty will really ring throughout our land? I do, Betsy. I do. 
Getting people together and on the same page comes replete with many challenges. We think of the Founding Fathers getting together in one place and coming up with that declaration, but many of them never met each other. They didn't know each other. John Adams was a go-to guy to pull it together. David Barton takes us there as we look at the faith of our fathers and the factions of our fathers that needed to be overcome. The name Adams is rather interesting. It comes from the Hebrew Adama, which means earth. Adam, of course, we know from the Bible, Adam and Eve derives from that. God made him from the earth. John Adams, he's a famous one, isn't he? He is a very famous one. Uh, he is a very significant one. America was so distinct back in the day. You had 13 colonies, and most of these guys did not know each other before they got together. So Adams, John Adams right here, represents a lot of the New England kind of thinking. Uh, you have Thomas Jefferson who represents more of the Southern type of thinking. And so getting groups together, I mean, the guys from Georgia never met the guys from Massachusetts. The guys from New York didn't know anybody from South Carolina. So getting these guys together around a set of principles was very interesting. And John Adams is one of the great leaders there. Um, interestingly, when we write the Declaration of Independence, it's Richard Henry Lee over here who makes the motion that we should separate from Great Britain. And Congress was ready to do that, but they said, we can't do it yet. So they tabled this motion for a month until we wrote a document explaining why we we're going to separate. And so they made these five guys right here. This is the committee that wrote the Declaration of Independence. They're presented to Congress right here. This is John Hancock, the president of Congress. And these five guys, John Adams was wise enough that when they got together in that group, he said, you know, we really ought to let Jefferson do the writing here. And they all agreed. And so Jefferson's a principal author, but it's because of his decision. He's also the guy who said, you know, we need a military commander. I think George Washington's the right guy. So he's the guy who chose Washington. So he was very astute, very wise, very deep. He called himself a church-going animal, which kind of tells you the, the mentality he had. Um, but he, he is a very significant founding yes, father. Yes, and he really had an appreciation for the Jews, interestingly. He, he did. He, very early on, as President of the United States, expressed the desire that Judea should be rebuilt, come back to life. It was a Zionist view. I mean, very early on, his relationship with leading Jews like Mordecai and Noah were very strong. I mean, to think for a moment, a famous American leader is thinking about something beyond America, that is, to put someone forth on the map that hasn't been there for millennia. That's right. So when Israel came back in 1948, so many people in the 1930s didn't even see Israel coming back yet. I mean, it was almost a surprise for so many people. It just never crossed their mind. So here he is when there's no talk of that, and he's the guy raising the issue, said Israel needs to come back as a nation. Yes, we want to say they're all racists, but that's just not borne out by the principal literature, is it? Well, he is a guy who never owned a slave in his life, and he hated slavery. So many of the Massachusetts guys, whether you take a John Adams or you take a John Hancock, or you take someone like a Robert Treat Payne or so many other Massachusetts guys, they hated slavery. And there never was a time in Massachusetts when blacks could not vote. I mean, from the very beginning, back to the time of the Pilgrims. So this is part of the conflict that Jefferson found because he's a Virginia guy. And when we talked about George Washington, he too owned slaves. Jefferson owned slaves. Both of them did not want to own slaves. Jefferson entered the state legislature and introduced laws to abolish slavery in Virginia. He always lost. But he did, in 1784, introduce a national law to end slavery, and it lost by one vote in Congress. Jefferson was really strongly against slavery. 
it's just not known today. You know, and when I think about the story you're telling, bringing people together from different places and different perspectives, that's the genius of America. That's at play here. You don't just burn the stat. You just don't destroy people you don't agree with. Yeah. The cancel culture. Yeah. I mean, here they had to open up, and it's a little bit of give and take, and that's what moves the ball forward. Well, it's also a bad narrative to say, well, these guys were white, so the whole nation is white. No, no. The American Revolution was fought by whites and blacks, and the greatest heroes, military heroes in history were black heroes in the Revolution. It was Jews, it was Christians, it was women, it was men, it was Hispanics. Uh, there were about 20 different nationalities that were involved in, in, in building America. So it really was a collection of what you see in Revelation 7, where they gathered around his throne of people from all tribes, all languages, all nations, all, all people. Yeah, I think different people from different places and different races, and nothing's perfect, but they saw something promising right. in America that existed nowhere else That's on right. planet Earth. You know, it's interesting when you see how unique America is today. Back in John Adams' day, 42 years after the American Revolution, and well, actually about 40 years, I guess it was about 1816, a young man named Hezekiah Niles came to him, and he would be kind of like a millennial of that generation. He's the younger generation. Adams is now old, 40 years after the Revolution. 1816, he says, I'm going to write a book about the American Revolution. This is the book he did. This came out in 1822. He said, but you were actually there. You were part of what happened, and I want your eyewitness account. He said, so when you, as a great founding father, look back at the American founding, who do you think was important? And John Adams wrote him, he said, well, I think the Reverend Charles Chauncey, the Reverend Dr. Samuel Cooper, the Reverend Dr. Jonathan Mayhew, George Whitfield. He goes to all these preachers. Now, we never do that. But, but these, uh, I mean, th this, is, this is Charles Chauncey. This is a sermon about the Stamp Act. Now, how many people today would preach a sermon about an economic tax but this is the kind of thinking we had biblically. Uh, this is a sermon done by Dr. Mayhew. These two sermons, one's on earthquakes and one's on the Great Fire. Whatever was in the headline of the newspapers, we were preaching from the pulpit. And so John Annis points, these are all Whitfield sermons, George Whitfield sermons. But John Annis points to these guys, and it's interesting that when you look at the Declaration of Independence, historians have now documented that every single right set forth in the Declaration had been preached from the American pulpit prior to 1763. So if you want a radical thought, think about the Declaration of Independence as a listing of sermon topics that these guys have been hearing for a couple decades leading up to this. It really was the leadership of church and Christian leaders and pastors in the Bible that built America and made it so unique. And that's why you see so much diversity in it as well. We know nothing about the faith of our fathers today. For young in America today, John Adams is a beer. Yo, dude, I want one of them. And people are clueless about yeah. what really uh, lived in his heart and mind. Yeah, um, as you mentioned, you know, Sam Adams right over here, Sam Adams beer. That's what people Sam think Adams. about today. And, and so they don't know. And the same with this. I, I often put this picture up when I speak at universities. And I, I asked the guys, I said, okay, who up there can you call by name? And they can point usually to Franklin and Jefferson, and that's as far as it goes. I've had one kid one time at one college say Adams. But you just pointed out the two least religious founding fathers of the group. And you think the whole group is built around that. When so many of these guys, I mean, John Hancock, for example, called the state of Massachusetts to pray and fast 
uh, he called for, for days of prayer. 22 separate times he calls the state to days of prayer. You know, that's not an atheist or agnostic. We just don't know these guys today. Yeah, he was bold, Hancock. My understanding is that when he wrote in big letters on the document, King George had bad vision. He says, I bet George can read that. Oh, that, that was the anecdote that goes with it. John Bull can read this now. And, and so, and by the way, he had to sacrifice his own business to do that. By signing that document, he wiped out his business. And so a lot of these guys, 10 of them never lived to see the freedom they wanted us to have. And we just don't know the sacrifices. Yeah, they made great sacrifices. They made great sacrifices. You made one to be with us today. Thank you for doing that. My pleasure. Good to be with you. David Barton has brought to us some major artifacts in this series. We're so thankful he's with us, but also some little tidbits that hopefully you've learned with us, things like John Hancock and his large signature so the king could read the Declaration of Independence. Wow. Yeah, I learned that years ago. King George had bad vision, and uh, and he was a little snotty. He wrote at large. He said, I bet George could read that. And, uh, and George did, and he paid dearly for it. That is John Hancock for his courage uh, to weigh in and contribute uh, his name, his fortune, and uh, it was something. Wow. Many of the founding fathers paid for it a lot, but also, 20, David Barton, thank you so much for this insight. 20 different nationalities fought in the Revolutionary War. Never knew that either. We stand on the shoulders of giants, and uh, those giants are obscured from history because we don't think about the signers of the Declaration of Independence. We know Hancock, there were others, and there were plenty others from different cultures, different peoples that contributed to the war effort. And uh, our backdrop is Israel. So I think you're watching this program. It's called Our Jewish Roots. Our Jewish Roots run deep even into the Revolutionary War with the Jewish people fighting in different ways. And it's almost like they're always fighting for their freedom. Yeah, the Torah, always. The Toro Synagogue is the one synagogue from the era that's still standing. There was one in New York, Sheriff Israel. Uh, but it moved. It was on Mill Street at the base of the island. But the Toro Synagogue in New England, uh, Judah Toro was a philanthropist. He didn't just give to Jewish causes. He was of Jewish extract himself, but he gave to non-Jewish causes as well. In fact, to date, he, when he made his donations in his will, no one had given more money to the uh, American experiment that he did personally. A lot of people contribute to the world that we have right now, and we can uh, thank the faith of our fathers. Some came from different faiths, as in the case of Toro, the Jewish faith. Which is wonderful. I mean, did you know that? I did not. We did. Unfortunately, I mean, there's some things we do know, but that's what's so wonderful about this program and having special guests like David Barton on our program that bring insights, especially about our Jewish roots. And to that point, I think it's a weakness in television, in Christian television. A lot of ministers are trying to come up with things that are new uh, and fanciful. Uh, we're interested in teaching things that have been forgotten. And thank you for your teaching today also. You're More to kind. come next week. You're kind. So good. We end our program today with a song from our founder, Zola Levitt. And a scripture, Sha'alu Shalom Yerushalayim. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem.